We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go, episode 317 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, May 18th, 2022. Let us hope that all of us on this Wednesday enjoy more good luck than the Wizards enjoyed in Tuesday night's NBA Draft Lottery. Now, I know, I know, the result of the NBA Draft Lottery for the Wizards could have been worse. I get that, okay? The Wizards neither moved up nor moved down. They went into the Draft Lottery with the 10th best odds of winning the lottery. The Wizards wound up with the number 10 overall pick in the 2022 NBA Draft. Okay, but boy, wouldn't it be nice if our Wizards actually enjoyed some substantial good luck in an NBA draft lottery. Like, imagine that, okay? Imagine if the Wizards actually moved up significantly in an NBA draft lottery. That basically never happens, okay? Coming up, in fact, I have some facts about the Bullets slash Wizards history with NBA draft lotteries that both will shock you and not at all surprise you, okay, if you've been a fan of the team for years. I'll also discuss what now for the Wizards with that number 10 overall pick in the 2022 NBA draft. Might the Wizards trade that number 10 overall pick? Hello and welcome to a Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Coming up next segment, a very special guest, former Redskins general manager Scott McLuhan. Yes, Scott McLuhan on this show Next segment, uh, I will tell you <laughs> that I, for months, worked on trying to get Scott on the show. We finally are making this happen. Now, the purpose of me wanting Scott on the show isn't to bring up the past, okay? The circumstances of Scott's firing as Redskins general manager in March 2017 are well known. He was fired with cause. The Skins, in October 2018, won their arbitration case in the matter. All of that stuff is old news. All of that stuff is well documented. Uh, you know, Scott's moves as Skins GM were mixed. Uh, him taking Josh Doxson in the first round of the 2016 NFL Draft 
not so good. Uh, Scott taking Sua Cravens in the second round of the 2016 draft, not so good. Uh, but Scott taking Jamison Crowder in the fourth round of the 2015 draft, uh, that was quite good. Scott taking Kendall Fuller in the third round of the 2016 draft, that was quite good. And Scott in the Redskins 2015 NFC East title season made multiple key in-season free agent signings. Uh, those of Dustin Hopkins and Will Blackman and Pierre Thomas. But Scott McLuhan loves football. He's very good at talking football. He still does work for multiple NFL teams. And so you're going to hear Scott's evaluations of the commander's most significant picks in the 2022 NFL draft. Jahan Dodson, Sam Howell, Fedarian Mathis, Brian Robinson Jr. You're going to hear a lot of good stuff from Scott on those guys. And I won't entirely ignore Scott's tenure as Skins GM. I'm going to ask Scott about maybe the most famous thing that he did as Skins GM, if not the most important thing that Scott did as Skins GM. And that is get Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen to back down, to step off, and allow for Kirk Cousins to become the team starting quarterback over Robert Griffin III for the 2015 season. Scott and Jay Gruden fought and won that battle. Scott will tell us about what went down. Also on the show, we'll talk Nationals and Orioles. Uh, Now, both teams lost again on Tuesday night. Another ugly loss for the Nats. 5-1 the final at the Miami Marlins. Uh, The O's lost to the New York Yankees 5-4 at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. But what matters the most with these two teams may well be what went down with their top pitching prospects on Tuesday night. For the Nats, reason to be concerned about Cade Cavalli right now. For the O's, reason to be also pumped about Grayson Rodriguez, a.k.a. Grayrod, right now. I'll discuss all of this as well as MLB on Tuesday suspending Orioles minor league pitcher and, of course, former New York Mets superstar Matt Harvey. 60 games without pay for distributing opioids. Yes, you heard that right. Distributing opioids. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Connor Davis on the commander's quarterback situation. Writes, Connor, I had a thought while listening to your much appreciated emergency podcast. Uh, Yes, Connor, my special scheduled emergency podcast for the Sunday of NFL Draft Weekend. What was Episode 304 continues, Connor, if the commanders, parentheses, will never like this name, suck towards the beginning of the year with Carson Wentz, that could be a good thing long term. If Wentz stinks, then we will have a bad record and possibly be out of playoff contention by November. Sam Howell then could be the starting quarterback for the second half of the season. Wentz's trade has it so that if he plays 70% of the commander's offensive snaps. Indianapolis will get a 2023 second round pick instead of a third round pick. Howell could get 30 plus percent of the team's offensive snaps for the season if the team is out of postseason contention by November. To sum it up, the worst thing that can happen this coming season is Wentz being average to poor. We flutter around 500 and he plays for the whole season. We need Wentz to be great or suck, not the in-between. Love the podcast. Uh, Thank you, Connor. Uh, Excellent point on the condition 
in the commander's trade for Carson Wentz. But consider the following. Uh, 70% of a 17-game regular season is 12 games. In order for the commanders to be out of postseason contention at 12 games into the 2022 regular season, the team would have to be really bad. Like four and eight or worse, and even then, depending on the state of the NFC East, the commanders still might be in postseason contention. But unless the team is just horrible this coming season, the team probably still will be in postseason contention 12 games into the regular season. And so the likelihood is that Carson Wentz will play on at least 70% of the team's offensive snaps in the 2022 regular season. Although, of course, if he gets injured, uh, that could change everything. But yeah, if the commanders are bad and Wentz has been bad and there's a chance that he may not end up playing on 70% of the team's offensive snaps and thus the commanders can keep their 2023 second round pick and only lose the 2023 third round pick, then heck yeah, bench Wentz and start Taylor Heineke or Sam Howell. Uh, Email from Ryan Park on who the commander's next head coach could be, right? Ryan, am I right that Sean Payton could be a free agent in two years, which would be at the end of Riverboat's fourth year in what I think is a five-year deal? If that timing is right, if Ron doesn't turn things around this year or next year, Dan could move on with minimal damage and offer Sean the same full control of the team, which would seem to be an attractive offer. Granted, many teams might be interested in Sean, but fewer would be willing to give him absolute control, including clearing house for his hand-picked coaching staff in front office, and maybe even signing Drew Brees, if he's interested. Curious to hear your musings. Uh, Thank you for the email, Ryan. Uh, I would not be counting on Drew Brees still being able to be a high-level NFL quarterback two years from now, uh, even though it sounds like he may want to play again. Uh, But yeah, here's the deal with Sean Payton. Uh, So he, in January, resigned as New Orleans Saints head coach off having been their head coach for the last 16 seasons. He reportedly is under contract to the Saints through 2024. The Redskins, in January 2020, hired Ron Rivera to be their head coach. It is believed that he signed a five-year contract. So the final season of his contract as head coach of the team, now known as the Commanders, is, yes, 2024. So yeah, if Dan Snyder decides to part with Ron Rivera as Commanders head coach, Sean Payton, in theory, will be available. Uh, Now look, what if Dan decided to part with Ron as Commanders head coach after the 2022 season? Well, Sean Payton wouldn't be available Uh, at that point, unless the commander struck some kind of a trade with the Saints. But if Ron is the commander's head coach for the duration of his contract, and then it's bye-bye Ron, Sean Payton, in theory, will be available. Now, whether Sean Payton would want to work for Dan Snyder is an entirely different topic. Although, uh, what if Dan is no longer the owner of the team by the time we get to the 2025 offseason. A lot to think about. Here's what I always come back to, though. At some point, our team needs to stop trying to find the previous big thing and instead find the next big thing. You know, like stop trying to recreate the past and start trying to be innovative toward the future. Okay. Because what usually happens with an NFL head coach who wins a Super Bowl with one team is that he doesn't duplicate that success with his next team. See Jimmy Johnson with the Miami Dolphins. See Mike Ditka with the New Orleans Saints. See George Seaford with the Carolina Panthers. See Mike Shanahan with the Redskins. 
Sean Payton now is 58. He had a tremendous run with the Saints, although the Saints should have had more postseason success, but that's another conversation. But, you know, Sean Payton has made a ton of money. He, were he to become commander's head coach, would be in his 60s. Uh, Would he be as motivated and hungry and driven to turn around the commanders and put up with Dan Snyder, if in fact Dan was still the owner, as someone who was younger and less proven? I don't know. Uh, I do know that, generally speaking, the way to have lasting success in sports is not with retreads, but with people who end up being next big things. Now, all of that said, heck yes, Sean Payton can coach. But personally, I'm hoping that Ron Rivera does well enough here to where he is here for years to come. But there is a lot of work to be done. Well, if the commanders end up hiring Sean Payton (laughs) as their next head coach, and he needs to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, I know exactly who Sean should call. Kellen Hunt. Sean should visit closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell, K-E-L-L.com. Sean should book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss Sean's real estate needs. And Sean should make sure to tell Kell that Al Galdi sent Sean. The D.C. area is a great area, but that also means that buying a home in the D.C. area is competitive. Here are some DMV real estate analytics for you. Contract ratios compare the total number of homes under contract in a given period to the overall number of active listings. A higher ratio points to an increase in contracts compared to supply. The number one contract ratio in the D.C. area in March was that of Kensington, Maryland, 2.3, which means that in Kensington, there were 2.3 listings under contract for every listing that was active. Uh, We had similar situations in Delray, in Alexandria, Virginia, and in American University Park in Washington, D.C. Bottom line, homes in the D.C. area are going under contract quickly after those homes are listed. If you're wanting to buy a home in the D.C. area, you need a savvy realtor to ensure that your offer is the offer that wins. This is where Kellen Hunt comes in. Kellen Hunt understands the market, and he is here for you to listen to what you want, no matter your situation in life. Whether you're a first-time buyer looking for guidance, or you have a young family looking for a bigger home, or you're ready to retire and or are looking to downsize, Kellen Hunt can help you. Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people, and Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you, the buyer, get a piece of the action. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs, and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. You have nothing to lose. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. Book an introductory call with Kellen Hunt at CloseItWithKell.com. If you're trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit CloseItWithKel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. As is always the case, I appreciate you listening to the Al Galdi podcast. If you have never rated the podcast, please consider doing that. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, you can give the podcast a five-star rating. Also, if you have never written a review of the podcast, please consider doing that. You can write a review of the podcast if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. The review doesn't have to be long. Uh, It can be just a sentence or two saying, 
that you like the podcast, but the ratings and the reviews help to make the podcast successful, and I thank you for doing them. So the Commanders, this coming Monday, May 23rd, will begin their first batch of organized team activity practices, OTA practices, this offseason. The batches of OTA practices for the Commanders this offseason are May 23rd through the 26th, May 31st through June 2nd, and June 6th through the 8th, and then we get the mandatory minicamp from June 14th through the 16th. Uh, All of these dates can change, but for now, this is the commander's schedule of practices this offseason. And so we right now are in a bit of a lull in the commander's offseason. The bulk of free agency has taken place. Uh, The NFL draft has taken place, and offseason practices haven't yet truly begun, although the commanders have conducted their rookie minicamp and have been conducting OTA sessions, but no actual OTA practices yet. And so I, on the podcast, have been having on various guests with whom we've checked in on the state of the commanders. And right now, I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast a very special guest. Uh, I'm speaking with him for the first time. He is former Redskins general manager, Scott McLuhan. Uh, Scott was a Skins GM from January 2015 to March 2017. He also served as San Francisco 49ers GM from January 2008 to March 2010. He was hired by the Niners in February 2005 as vice president of player personnel. Scott also was the Seattle Seahawks director of college scouting from May 2000 to February 2005 and was a Seahawks personnel executive from June 2010 to April 2014. And Scott worked as a regional scout for the Green Bay Packers in the mid to late 1990s. Scott has a lot of experience working in NFL front offices, and he's good enough to give us some time right now to discuss the commanders, especially their 2022 draft. Scott, it's very nice to talk to you. How are you? I'm doing excellent. I appreciate you having me. So before I ask you a bunch of questions about the Commanders, I'm sure that a lot of people listening are curious about what you're up to these days, and you're working as an NFL draft consultant for a handful of NFL teams. Is that correct? That is correct. I work for a couple teams, you know, friends that I, you know, once the business started with, they're GMs now, so I try to help them out as much as possible. And I do some work for agents that I respect that I've gotten to know over my years in the NFL, so I stay pretty dang busy. Yeah, I bet. Well, a lot has changed with the team that used to be the Redskins and now is the Commanders since you work for them. Uh, When it comes to the key guys in the Commanders front office right now, uh, Ron Rivera, Martin Mayhew, Marty Herney, Chris Poley, and Eric Stokes, do you know any of them well? Do you have opinions on any of them? I know all of them pretty well besides uh, Coach Rivera. You know, I I, I know Martin. I've done you know, back in the day, we did trades together. You know, when I was with San Fran, we did some trades, at least one trade for sure. Um, Polian, I've known, you know, those guys are, are respected guys. Marty Herney, very respected guy. Um, and Eric Stokes, who I worked with in Seattle, um, very respected guy. So I think they got an excellent front office. Um, you know, it doesn't always pan out each year like you want it to, but I think they're doing the right thing and going the right direction. All right. Very nice to hear that. Uh, So let's get to what the Commanders did in the 2022 draft. They originally had the number 11 overall pick, made a trade with the New Orleans Saints to move down five spots, and with the number 16 overall pick, took receiver Jahan Dodson. Now, the Commanders could have had receivers Chris Olave or Jamison Williams at 11, instead moved down to take Dodson at 16. I've been told that at least some people in the Commanders front office had Dodson as the number two receiver in the draft, with Drake London being number one. 
Are the commanders too high on Dodson, or do you see what they see? I, you know, I don't think they're too high because I think he's he, he's a win-win from the standpoint as a receiver. Um, I watch a lot of you know the better corners this year that played against him. He was definitely as a slot type receiver, very tough to cover. Always getting open, had excellent excellent ball skills, which is huge. I mean, because that's the quarterback trusting him on third down. Um, but also, you got to throw in the uh, punt return ability. I think that puts him above other receivers because he is a dual threat. And, and, and it, 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 it's a legit dual threat if they want him as a punt returner. Will Jahan Dodson as an NFL receiver just be a slot receiver, or do you see him as capable of playing on the outside as well? You know, I think both. I think it depends on, on the play call. It depends on down and distance. I just know this. When you watch him, um, he was very tough to cover on the outside, also on the inside. Um, always getting open, and like I said, excellent ball skills. So, I mean, you can put him where you want to put him, and I think the play speed and the quickness is going to take over. And I thought it was a very good pick. And being able to move back and get him, I thought that was an excellent job. Let's jump to the first of the Commander's two fifth-round picks in the 2022 draft because this pick has gotten a lot of attention. Quarterback Sam Howell, uh, the value too good to pass up given that just a year ago he was viewed as the potential number one overall pick in the 2022 draft. How do you view Howell as an NFL quarterback prospect? I like Howell. I really do. Um, going into the season last time, at the, last year at this time, I thought he might have a chance to be a top 10 type quarterback in the draft. Um, you know, I think it proved out this year where he lost the weapons to get the two running backs, of course, and the two receivers you know, that helped him two years ago. And he put up really good numbers. And this year, the numbers weren't bad. He just lost the talent he had around him. But I think I think with with, with, with what he went through and the year they went through, they're expecting such highs about the team and about him that he started forcing some things later in the year. Um, but I had him rated higher than they drafted him as well. Yeah, I think it's a really good pick there. I think he got a chance for sure to have a solid two when the career's said and done. But he's got a chance to be a starter. Um, I think he's got the mental makeup. Um, I think he's got the toughness, the competitiveness, and I think he's, he's got definitely got arm talent. So he just needs to refine some mechanics, in my opinion. And, and I, I thought it was a really good pick, especially where, where they got him. Really good pick. As you know, so few non-first-round quarterbacks become franchise quarterbacks in the NFL. You were a part of the Seahawks when they took Russell Wilson in the third round of the 2012 draft, and that's probably the best quarterback draft pick since the New England Patriots took Tom Brady in the sixth round of the 2000 draft. What goes into a non-first-round quarterback becoming a franchise quarterback? Because, again, it just happens so infrequently. Yeah, it's tough. I think the, 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 the negative is from the get-go is you expect to get taken higher, and you're not. But the guys that respond, you know, and I was lucky enough to be in Green Bay when we took uh, Matt Hasselbeck and uh, Aaron Brooks, both later end up both being legit starters in the NFL. I think they come in, the right ones come with the chip on their shoulder, understand, and more so keep your mouth shut than talk early, and just learn from the vet. Learn from the vet, learn from the coaching staff, learn what they want, and just keep working and working and working. It might not be year one, year two, possibly not year three, you take over, but you know, like with the Hasselback, you know, he's behind Brett Favre, and you know, and he just kept his mouth shut and just kept working and working, and ended up being a really good quarterback. You know, the thing with Sam, you know, you hope is that he comes in with that chip on his shoulder, which I believe he will, and you know, understand there's not a lot of pressure on him right now. You know, he's not got to step in the spotlight right away, and and I think, like I said, it, it, I think he's smart enough and he's shown he's got the talent, you know, to be an NFL quarterback. 
you know, you know, it doesn't matter if you're drafted in the fifth, drafted in the seventh, drafted in the third. He'll have the opportunity, and I'll be on, and, you know, in his corner if he wants to be that and, and doesn't become that. But I've seen gl- glimpses of him when he was playing well, like I said, two years ago. I thought he had a chance to be a top-ten guy. I really did. Yeah, I mean, obviously the commanders are hoping that things work out for them with Carson Wentz, but if they don't work out with Wentz, it sounds like you think that the commanders may have something in Sam Howell. Well, and I think what will be more they took him, they're not forced or rushed to, to make him be the guy. You know, hopefully they see positives already, you know, with, with rookie minicamp and all of a sudden going to his first offseason with him being in the building and just see him progressing better and better. And as you're well aware, a lot of these quarterbacks come out of these systems in, in, in high school and college nowadays. You know, they're not pro-style whatsoever. I mean, a lot of them don't even call a huddle sometimes. They get all from the sidelines. So there's a lot of learning for him to do. Um, but my gut tells me with him, he'll do it, and he'll do it the right way. And, you know, he's not going to, I don't think, be outspoken about not being the guy, but I think he'll compete every day on that field to be the guy, which is what you want with any rookie, especially a quarterback. Yeah, no doubt. We're talking about the Commanders 2022 draft and more with former Redskins general manager Scott McLuhan. The Commanders in the second round of the 2022 draft took interior defensive lineman Fedarian Mathis. He certainly seems to be a plug-and-play guy when it comes to stopping the run. Will Mathis be just a two-down player in the NFL, or do you see him as someone who the Commanders can play a good bit on passing downs? Well, I think from the get-go, he, when they, when he's a two-down two guy right now because of what his tape showed in college. Um, but he's a sneaky pass rusher now, and he's a sneaky athlete. He doesn't really look pretty, you know, T-shirt and shorts and saboteur. <laughs> Some people look at that as part of it with the combine and all the numbers and that stuff. He put on tape now. He played on really good defense, and he was one of the guys. Um, Matter of fact, I personally had him in the second round on my board. And, and you know, I, I know some people had him a little bit later. But for what he brings, the position he brings is a three-tech, some maybe possibly a one-tech at times. Playing inside and doing the dirty work, he'll do it. And, and I respect that. And those guys are hard to find, especially young guys. You know, and I, I think with that defense and the guys he's going to be around, he's going to learn more and more and learn some, you know, some techniques because he's not the best athlete, but he's still a functional athlete. And he's really good with his hands and his technique up front. And, and like I said, he does the dirty work. And a lot of those guys, you'll see, you know, that size that are considered two down run players, they don't always like to do dirty work. He didn't take plays off. And that's one thing I respect about Alabama, especially on the defensive side, because Saban pushes that so hard. Compete, compete, play, play. So he's ready. I, I, I see him, if not starting, being in rotation early and being a solid player early, which is great. Yeah, so you did have a second-round grade on Fedarian Mathis because, like you said, a prevailing belief is that the commanders overdrafted Mathis. Personally, I had a, I had a 2-2, which is the second second part of the second round. I, I liked the guy. I really did. I did a lot of work on him. And he, like I said, he was on a really good defense, and he fit in. He's one of the guys. And I see him doing the same thing, you know, as the commanders. The commander's third-round pick in the 2022 draft, another Alabama player running back, Brian Robinson Jr. Uh, He is a bruiser. He is physical. Lots of yards after contact. Uh, What's your evaluation of Robinson? The same thing. Same thing. You know, he waited and waited and waited, which you respect. You know, he's from right there in Tuscaloosa. He, uh, you know, never complained about anything. He got his chance this year. And and I agree with you. He's kind of a no-nonsense runner. When I was in Green Bay, I compared him to a guy we had there in the Winter Super Bowl with, Dorsey Levins, you know, who who was a good back, not a great back, but a good back, a power back, 225 pounds, um, has no problem running between the tackles, low the pads, and take the hits. Um, The thing I like about him, you know, he hasn't taken a lot of hits in college because he wasn't the guy. And a lot of these running backs come out of college nowadays, even after the third year, 
been the main guy and had a lot of hits, a lot of contact over the college career. This guy hasn't, you know, so knock on wood medically, you know, he comes in a little bit healthier than most backs, but he's, uh, you know, I, I see him, I see him um, being a competitive guy again, coming from a, a, a university that breeds competition and, 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 and NFL talent and they expect to play. And I see him helping out early, you know, if not the guy, Definitely being, being a guy that, that, that plays because, you know, people don't talk a lot about it. He didn't get a lot of it, but his ball skills are, are legit, too, in my opinion. So, I mean, he's not just a between-the-tackle pounder. He's not going to be a home-run guy type guy. That's okay. You don't need those guys. You need to pick up first downs, and he's the type of guy who'll do it. One other Commander's 2022 draft pick who I want to ask you about, safety Percy Butler, uh, who they took in the fourth round. Chris Sims of NBC Sports called Butler the best pure safety in the draft. Uh, Butler is fast. He at Louisiana played both safety spots and nickel corner. What do you make of Butler? You know what? I don't know him real well enough to talk about him. I didn't do a full report on him. I, one of the teams or the agents didn't ask me to. Um, I heard positives about him. I heard he, he's a versatile guy and a, a tough guy. But besides that, I really don't know him well enough to talk about him. Okay, no problem. Uh, so I wanted to have you on primarily to talk about the Commander's 2022 draft, but I did want to ask you about something from your time as Redskins general manager, and that something is you and Jay Gruden convincing Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen that Kirk Cousins and not Robert Griffin III needed to be the skin starting quarterback for the 2015 season. Kirk becoming the skin starting quarterback over Robert for the 2015 season, it was a huge deal as you know. Uh, It has been reported that you had a lengthy meeting with Dan in which you got Dan to see things as you and Jay saw things. What can you tell us about the process by which Kirk Cousins in the summer of 2015 became the skin starting quarterback for the 2015 season? What of course ended up being an NFC East winning season and then Kirk ended up being the Redskins starting quarterback through the 2017 season. Yeah, no, you know what? I mean, it, it was all said that as a group decision. You know, going into it, I first took the job, um, speaking with Jay, um, you know, I kind of had my thought process already going because I, I knew Kirk very well coming out of Michigan State, um, doing, a, doing a school call on him that fall he came out. So I knew him pretty dang well. Um, you know, and, and, I, and the thing that was good about it from the get-go, I, I knew Jay's feeling, feelings about it, but with, with Mr. Schneider and Mr. Allen, it was an understanding the best man's going to win the job, you know, and we're going to go through the off season. We're going to go through, you know, training camp and, uh, it worked itself out that way. And when it was all said and done, we were all on board. Um, now, you know, each had their own guy. They liked for certain reasons, you know, some could be from the past, you know, playing experience or some could have been from what he brings right now to the team. Um, but you know, it was good competition and, and the best man won. You know, and, you know, not knocking Robert whatsoever. He competed. You know, he was a talented guy. It's just Kirk. I think it was his time. He was ready. And I think players around him really believed in him. And, of course, I think the coaching staff really believed in him. So, when it's all said and done, I know Jay and I were both definitely 100% on board for Kirk. And then, you know, Mr. Snyder, Mr. Allen agreed. You know, they said, you know, we're here for a reason. And this is the head coach. And this is the new GM we brought in. You know, my eyes were fresh to day in and day out with both those guys. And like I said, it was a great competition. But Kirk won it out. And I think it proved out, you know, and he earned it, you know, and I, and I think he was definitely ready for it. And I think that proved out as well. <laughs> so this vision that we have had of you and Jay Gruden having to like battle Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen to get Kirk Cousins as the Redskins starting quarterback. Uh, the situation wasn't as contentious as maybe has been depicted. 
not at the end it wasn't now it had its ups and downs during off season and during training camp you know because like i said everybody has their own opinion it doesn't mean it's right or it doesn't mean it's wrong but uh, the one thing I, I i really took a lot into was jay you know being the head coach being an offensive minded head coach and being around those guys day in and day out for the you know two years prior to that wherever it was when i wasn't there and he was really strong in his conviction who he thought for the offense and for the team gives the best chance to win and again, from the get-go, I was kind of always on board with that as well. But still, I wanted to play out, play out the right way and be around the other players and understand what they're talking about with the quarterback situation and who they feel gives us the best chance to win. And there was, there were some tough discussions during, but that's that's training camp. And that's offseason. That's what you want. You want guys to be battling, you know, not just, well, he's our guy no matter what. These other three, we'll worry about them later. It was a competition. And like I said, each guy had their favorites going in. And, and I think when it's all said and done, all four were on the same page, and, and we made the right decision. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt about that. Scott, it was really nice having you on the podcast. Glad that you're doing well, and all the best to you. I appreciate it very much. You have a good day. You too. Uh, good to get the thoughts of former Redskins general manager Scott McLuhan on the Commander's 2022 draft, and also do some story time with Scott on the uh, Kirk Cousins coup of 2015. Interesting that Scott is a big fan of John Dodson, doesn't think that Dodson has to just be a slot receiver in the NFL, and Scott did have a second round grade on Fedarian Mathis. Uh, Well, if we had to give a grade to the Wizards' luck in the NBA draft lottery over the years, uh, that grade would be an F, a big fat F. Uh, I'll react to what happened to the Wizards in Tuesday night's NBA draft lottery after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So we on Tuesday night had the 2022 NBA Draft Lottery. The 2022 NBA Draft will take place on June 23rd in Brooklyn. The NBA Draft Lottery started in 1985. The NBA Draft Lottery is where the fortunes of NBA franchises can be forever changed. If you are a wretched NBA franchise, but you win an NBA Draft Lottery, everything can change. But the NBA draft lottery also has been like a torture chamber for our Wizards over the years. And so I, as a Wizards fan, did not go into Tuesday night 
with high hopes for the Wizards. And it's a good thing that I did not go into Tuesday night with high hopes for my Wizards because any high hopes that might have been had were not to be. Uh, The Wizards had the 10th best odds of winning Tuesday night's NBA draft lottery, a 3% chance of winning Tuesday night's NBA draft lottery. The Wizards had a 65.9% chance of getting the number 10 pick in the 2022 NBA draft. That was the most likely outcome for the Wizards in Tuesday night's NBA draft lottery. And sure enough, the Wizards did wind up with the number 10 pick in the 2022 NBA draft. So yes, the Wizards draft positioning didn't get worse. And so many times in the past, the Wizards draft positioning has gotten worse via an NBA draft lottery. But the Wizards draft positioning didn't get better. Understand just how bad the Bullets slash Wizards history in the NBA draft lottery is. Like I said, the NBA draft lottery started in 1985. The Bullets slash Wizards now have participated in an NBA draft lottery 22 times. Guess how many times over those 22 NBA draft lottery opportunities that our Bullets slash Wizards have received a pick better than the team's pre-draft lottery position. Just take a guess out of 22 times. The answer is three. Yes, three. The damn Washington Wizards. Exactly, Stephen A. The Bullets slash Wizards over their 22 all-time NBA draft lottery opportunities have received a pick better than the team's pre-draft lottery position just three out of the 22 times. Nine times the Bullets slash Wizards have stayed where they are. Ten times the the Bullets slash Wizards have fallen. It's not funny. I shouldn't be laughing. I should be crying or screaming. So the Bullets slash Wizards essentially are three, ten, and nine in the NBA draft lottery. So yes, what happened to the Wizards on Tuesday night could have been worse, okay, but also could have been much better. The three times in which the Wizards have actually had good luck in an NBA draft lottery in terms of moving up. Uh, 2001, the Wizards had the third worst record in the NBA, got the number one pick and took Kwame Brown. Uh, 2010, the Wizards had the fifth worst record in the NBA, got the number one pick and took John Wall. 2013, the Wizards had the eighth worst record in the NBA, got the number three pick, and took Otto Porter Jr. But the falls for the Bullets slash Wizards in the NBA draft lottery are legendary. Uh, I mean, you know, you just go through some of what has taken place here. 1993, the Bullets had the third worst record in the NBA, got the number six pick, and took Calvert Chaney. Uh, 1995, the Bullets had the second worst record in the NBA, but got the number four pick. Uh, Did take Rasheed Wallace, although Kevin Garnett went at number five to the Minnesota Timberwolves, and Sheed ended up playing for the Bullets for just the 1995-96 season. He got traded with Mitchell Butler in July 1996 to the Portland Trailblazers for Rod Strickland and Harvey Grant. And of course, Sheed ended up being a major force for the Blazers and then the Detroit Pistons and was a key player on the 2004 
NBA champion Pistons. Uh, 2004, the Wizards had the third worst record in the NBA, got the number five pick, and technically took Devin Harris, but they quickly traded his draft rights and Jerry Stackhouse and Kristen Leitner to the Dallas Mavericks for Antoine Jameson and cash considerations. How about 2009? The Wizards had the second worst record in the NBA and got the number five pick. Uh, Ernie Grunfeld traded that number five pick in the 2009 NBA draft. Alexei Petrov, who Ernie had taken with the number 18 pick in the 2006 NBA draft. Darius Sungaila and Deton Thomas to the Minnesota Timberwolves for Randy Foy and Mike Miller. Uh, that trade ended up being mostly a nothing trade for the Wizards. And you look back at that 2009 NBA draft, again, the Wizards had the number five pick. Uh, the Timberwolves used that number five pick on Ricky Rubio, but others who could have been taken with that pick, Steph Curry, who was taken by the Golden State Warriors at number seven, and DeMar DeRozan, who was taken by the Toronto Raptors at number nine. 2011, the Wizards had the fourth worst record in the NBA, but got the number six pick and took Jan Vesely. Uh, the Wizards in that 2011 NBA draft actually had two first round picks, numbers six and 18. Ernie took Vesely at six and Chris Singleton at 18. Uh, each guy became a king of the DNP CD. What a debacle that 2011 NBA draft ended up being for the Wizards. And you look back at that NBA draft, uh, Kemba Walker was taken by the Charlotte Bobcats at number nine. Clay Thompson was taken by the Golden State Warriors at number 11. Kawhi Leonard was taken by the San Antonio Spurs at number 15. Nikola Vucevic was taken by the Philadelphia 76ers at number 16. But what our Wizards did was take Jan Vesely at number six and Chris Singleton at number 18. And then 2019, in a lot of ways, is the ultimate instance of the Wizards being done dirty by the NBA draft lottery. 2019, the Wizards had the sixth worst record in the NBA, and due to some revamped NBA draft lottery rules, had a 9% chance of landing the number one pick and a 37% chance of landing a top five pick, and yet the Wizards got the number nine pick. This was nearly the worst case scenario for the Wizards. The Wizards had just a 3.8% chance of falling to that number nine spot, and yet that is precisely what happened to the Wiz in that 2019 NBA draft lottery. Now, the Wizards did end up using their 2019 first round pick on Rui Hachimura. He's been a pretty good player for the Wizards, but that's not the point. Another instance of bad NBA draft lottery luck for our Wizards. Now, as far as the 2022 NBA draft goes, uh, well, there's a lot of uncertainty with this draft. There's not even a consensus on who the number one pick in the draft will be. Most NBA drafts, you have a good idea of who that number one pick will be. Uh, at least as things stand right now, there are like four candidates to be the number one pick in the 2022 NBA draft. Uh, those four guys are Chet Holmgren of Gonzaga, Paolo Bancaro of Duke, Jabari Smith of Auburn, Jaden Ivey of Purdue, and there may be more candidates than just those four candidates in terms of who will be the number one pick in the 2022 NBA draft. So a lot of uncertainty with this NBA draft. If you know your NBA draft history, you know that there will be a good player available to the Wizards with their number 10 overall pick. The question, of course, is will our Wizards take the right player 
at 10. Heck, will the Wizards even keep that number 10 overall pick? I mean, the plan for the Wizards right now seems to be to move forward with this big three, and I put big three in quotation marks, of of Bradley Beal, Chris Damps, Porzingis, and Kyle Kuzma. Now look, you know, that's a functional big three. That is not an NBA championship caliber big three. But like, can you make the playoffs with that as your big three? Yeah, I think that you can, if all three guys stay healthy and get along. Uh, But the Wizards desperately need a starting point guard. I would not be surprised if the Wizards end up using this number 10 overall pick as part of a trade package for a starting point guard. Uh, Two point guards who may well be available via trade this NBA offseason. The Virginia product, Malcolm Brogdon of the Indiana Pacers and Mike Conley Jr. of the Utah Jazz. But whatever the Wizards do with this number 10 overall pick, it is the number 10 overall pick, not a higher pick. Because heaven forbid our Wizards enjoy good luck in an NBA draft lottery. The damn Washington Wizards! Exactly. Well, I on Tuesday's show, episode 316, said that the Nationals' 8-2 loss at the Miami Marlins on Monday night was the Nats' worst loss of the season so far. And I made sure to say so far because who knows just how bad that things will get for the rebuilding oh-so-bad Nats in their 2022 regular season. Well, sure enough, the Nats on Tuesday night suffered another ugly loss. Now, was this loss as bad as Monday night's loss? Maybe not, but uh, I'll tell you what, Tuesday night's loss was not far from Monday night's loss. A 5-1 loss at the Marlins in game two of a three-game series. The Nats this season now are a National League East worst 12-26, and including being just 6-19 and since a 6-7 and start to the season. Yeah, the Nats have lost 19 of their last 25 games. Uh, We on Tuesday night for the Nats had more bad hitting, more bad fielding, and more bad pitching. And we had a major disappointment at Triple A for the Nats. More on that in a bit. Uh, We'll start with the Nats hitting. The Nats on Tuesday night, another very poor offensive game. Just one run, just seven hits, a double, and six singles. So again, a lack of hitting for power. The Nats did work four walks, but the Nats went 0 for 5 with runners in scoring position. I'll tell you what stood out to me as much as anything with the Nats hitting on Tuesday night. So Nelson Cruz was back. He returned from a one-game absence due to illness, but he again looked terrible. Uh, Cruz on Tuesday night as the Nats starting DH in number four batter, 0 for 4 with three strikeouts, and he left four men on base. And how about the three strikeouts? Cruz began the top of the second by striking out swinging on three pitches. Cruz began the top of the fifth by striking out swinging on five pitches. And then Cruz in the top of the sixth with the bases loaded, two outs, and the Nats trailing one nothing, struck out swinging on seven pitches. I mean, Nelson Cruz is the Nats' cleanup batter, right? The phrase cleanup batter comes from the idea of your number four batter coming up to bat with the first three batters having gotten on base, i.e. with the bases loaded. Well, the Nats in the top of the six had that situation. Cruz batting with the bases loaded, and he ended up striking out swinging on seven pitches. You know, there had been some recent signs that Nelson Cruz was starting to bust out, and maybe he ultimately does end up busting out here. But Nelson Cruz now this season has a batting average of 188 an on-base percentage of just 271 
and a slugging percentage of just 289. He has been easily the most disappointing Nats offensive player so far this season. And that's saying something because there have been multiple disappointing Nats offensive players so far this season. Uh, Juan Soto, you could argue by his standards, has been disappointing, certainly lately. I mean, his overall numbers for the season aren't awful or anything like that, but he's in a funk, certainly again by his standards right now. Uh, Juan Soto on Tuesday night, another ho-hum game. Uh, He is the Nats starting right fielder and number two batter, went one for three with an infield single and a walk. Uh, Josh Bell on Tuesday night as the Nats starting first baseman and number three batter, 0 for two with a walk and an RBI sack fly, and Bell was part of the latest clown show defensive sequence by the Nats. Uh, So Nats reliever Erasmo Ramirez allowed two runs, one earned in the bottom of the seventh. The Nats, in this Marlins two-run seventh, committed three errors, two of which were by Ramirez. Uh, He gave up a leadoff double to Miguel Rojas. Ramirez then committed a fielding error on a sacrifice bunt by Eric Gonzalez, putting runners at the corners. And then we, for a second consecutive game, had the Nats committing two errors on one play. This happened on Monday night. This happened on Tuesday night. Uh, Ramirez committed a throwing error on a pickoff attempt at first base. And then the Nats' first baseman, Josh Bell, made a throwing error in throwing the baseball to third base. Two runs scored on this latest two-error play by the Nats, giving the Marlins a 4-0 lead. It's amazing that this happened. A two-error play by the Nats for a second consecutive game. Nats manager Davey Martinez during his post-game session with reporters on Tuesday night on the Nats' latest clown show defensive play. Yeah, I mean, one, uh, Rosmo's cleat got stuck, his front leg, um, but it should have been a balk. I mean, uh, you know, I thought I thought they were gonna call a buck, and then you know the play is done. But um, he, tr- you know, he tried to throw the ball because he knew there was a guy on third base. Um, threw the ball away, and then and then Josh Bell turned and, and fired the ball to where he thought um, Escobar was was a cut, and he you know he just missed everybody. So, I um, mean, that situation, like I said, man, we 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 in those situations we're trying too hard, we're trying you know create something that's not there, and. Um, all he had to do is probably just you know, take a peek, look where everybody's at, and then fire the ball straight to third base. All right. David Martinez on Tuesday night then got asked if he's starting to feel like his approach with his players needs to change, given how bad the Nats continue to be. No, I mean, for me, it's, it's about addressing the, the issue every day. You know, we address all the issues every day. Um, I sit with the guys, I talk to them every day and address it, and hopefully we get, we get better. I mean, um, like I said, you know, we got some young guys that are learning, um, and they're getting better. And um, we got some veteran guys that, that just need to perform a little bit better, honestly. I mean, sure. if you think about it, so, and I think that's going to come. I really do. So um, I've said this before, you know, you see signs of us you know, maybe breaking out one, one day and you think that the next day, um, but we got we to gotta start, you know, one, like I said, driving the runs um, and just, just making things happen, you know, staying positive and making things happen. I mean, that's all, that's, that's all we can do. That's the only way we're going to get out of this is that we stay positive and uh, we pull for one another and, uh, and we try to go one and all every day. Well, that right there is the Davy Martinez mantra, go 1-0 and every day. The Nats, unfortunately, have been going like 0-10 every day. Uh, how about more sloppiness from the Nats on the base paths on Tuesday night? You know, we have sloppiness basically everywhere 
with the Nats right now. Uh, Victor Robles, uh, he on Tuesday night was the Nats starting center fielder and number nine batter. He went two for four with two singles, but he got picked off. Uh, Robles in the top of the sixth had a one-out single to center field, but he then, with the lineup turning over and the Nats trailing one nothing, got picked off at first base for the second out. And I don't know if Robles lost track of where he was between first and second, but he essentially like fell out of the infield dirt as opposed to diving hard back to first base. I don't know if he thought that the first base bag was closer than it actually was and thus just fell down. Um, but that's kind of what he did, just kind of like fell down on his stomach. And he ended up being tagged out by a good bit, so much so that Robles, after being tagged out, just went back to the Nats dugout, like didn't feign like he might have been safe. I mean, it seemed like Victor Robles got humbled on that play and then just took his medicine and went right back to that Nats dugout. Well, like I said, he did have a couple of hits on Tuesday night. Robles in the Nats one run eighth had a leadoff single on a ball hit up the middle that went off reliever Anthony Bass's foot. But that was a bad moment for Victor Robles. And he has had way too many of those over the last few years. You know, these bad baseball IQ moments and Robles getting picked off like that. Again, you're down by a run. Your top of the lineup is batting. Cesar Hernandez was batting. Juan Soto was up next. Josh Bell after that. And you get picked off like that. That was bad. Uh, two other Nats each got on base twice on Tuesday night. Cesar Hernandez as an Nats starting second baseman and number one batter went two for four with a double and a single. Uh, Hernandez in the top of the sixth had a two-out infield single, and he in the Nats one-run eighth had a first-pitch double off the right field warning track. And Yadiel Hernandez on Tuesday night as an Nats starting left fielder at number five batter, one for three with a single and a walk. He in the top of the fifth drew a one-out eight-pitch walk, and he in the top of the seventh had a leadoff opposite field single to left field on an 0-2 pitch. Yadiel, for the most part, continues to look quite good. Uh, the Nats starting pitcher on Tuesday night was Yoan Adone. Uh, he allowed one run in four and two-thirds innings. So the good news was that Adone issued no walks. And that right there is a huge win because Adone came into the game with a walks per nine innings this season of 6.47. That is a sky-high walk rate for any pitcher. Uh, so for Adone to not issue any walks on Tuesday night, was really good to see, but Adone did give up five hits, a homer, a double, and three singles. He issued a hit by pitch. He recorded just two strikeouts, and he threw 84 pitches over the four and two-thirds innings, but he only gave up one run. Adone, in the bottom of the fifth, gave up a leadoff homer to Miguel Rojas to left field for a one nothing Marlins lead. Uh, Adone now, over eight starts this season, has an ERA of 638. That's not good at all. Let's make that clear, but he does show signs of having something. I mean, Yohan Adone is in his age 23 season. He is a flamethrower. The guy throws hard. He was coming off, though, a really bad outing. Adone in a 4-1 loss to the New York Mets in Nationals Park last Thursday afternoon. Three runs in three and two-thirds innings. He could not find home plate in this game. He issued five walks, a hit-by-pitch, and a wild pitch. He over 84 pitches through 44 strikes versus 40 balls. Think about that, a strike-to-ball ratio of 44 to 40. Here was Davey Martinez during his post-game session with reporters on Tuesday night on Yoan Adone. His pitch, out, pitch count got up there a little bit, but a 65% strikes. Um, I, threw, I think his velo was the highest he's thrown all year, um, but he, his, his tempo, um, the way he controlled his, his body, his mechanics was way, way better. So, um, you know, 
uh, I told him, hey, let's 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 build off of that and uh, you know get you the next five days. Um, you know, they swung, they swung, they fouled some balls off. You know, like I said, his pitch count got up there, and I, I, you know, for me, it was about getting him out there in, in, in a positive and a good. You know, he gave up one uh, one home run, uh, but I thought he threw the ball really well. All right, Nats bullpen on Tuesday night had problems. Three Nats relievers combined to allow four runs, three earned in three into third innings. Steve Ciszek allowed one run in one into third innings. He came into the game in the bottom of the fifth with a runner on first, two outs, and the Nats down one nothing. Induced a grounder for an inning-ending force out, but Ciszek in the bottom of the sixth gave up a two-out solo homer to Jesus Sanchez on a bomb to right center field for a 2-0 Marlins lead, despite Sanchez having been down to the count at one point. 0-2. The homer was some shot when it projected 425 feet for a stat cast. Uh, then we had Erasmo Ramirez allowing two runs, one earned in the bottom of the seventh. And then we had Paolo Espino giving up a run in the bottom of the eighth, during which he gave up a double and two singles. Uh, now to this bad minor league news for the Nats. So, you know, you have what's going on for the Nats at the major league level right now, but you could argue what matters more than anything for the Nats right now is what's happening in the minors. The Nats need to get better with their farm system. There's no question about that, but the Nats farm system does contain one of the more promising prospects in baseball in pitcher Cade Cavalli. Well, Cade Cavalli is struggling right now. For AAA Rochester, uh, Cavalli in a start for AAA Rochester on Tuesday night got shelled. Uh, he in an 11-5 home loss for the Rochester Red Wings to the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. I love minor league baseball team names. The Rochester Red Wings on Tuesday night lost to the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. And Kate Cavalli in this game for Rochester allowed five runs and got just two outs. Uh, Cavalli now over seven starts for Rochester this season has an ERA of 762 and a whip of 1.55. Uh, those are hideous numbers. And, you know, you can't always judge a pitching prospect by his ERA or even his whip, but those numbers are so bad that you can't just ignore those numbers. And here's the thing. Kate Cavalli last season struggled for AAA Rochester. Kate Cavalli last season pitched at three different levels of minor league baseball. He pitched for the High A Wilmington Blue Rocks, pitched for the AA Harrisburg Senators, and pitched for the AAA Rochester Red Wings. Cavalli was outstanding for Wilmington and Harrisburg, but he struggled for Rochester. Cavalli for Rochester last season, six starts, ERA of 766, whip of 187, but the six starts only totaled 24 and two-thirds innings. You figured, all right, the sample size wasn't sky high. Let's obviously see more. Well, Cavalli so far this season for AAA Rochester, seven starts, ERA of 762. It has been considered a fait accompli that the Nats will be calling Cade Cavalli up to the majors this season. I still would say that that's more likely than unlikely, but, you know, the Nats aren't just going to call up Cade Cavalli to the majors to call up Cade Cavalli to the majors. The Nats are going to call up Cade Cavalli to the majors when the time is right. The time is not right with him having an ERA of 762 over seven starts for Rochester so far this season. Now, you know, it's not time to say that he's a bust or anything like that, all right? MLB Pipeline ranks Cade Cavalli as being the number 37 prospect in baseball. This is only his age 23 season. There's still a lot to like about this guy. Uh, he's listed as being 6'4", 
240 pounds. He was a non-roster invitee to 2022 Nat Spring Training, and he, for a good chunk of spring training, looked good, so much so that at one point there was legitimate talk of, hey, Kate Cavalli might make the Nats major league team to begin the season. But then came what happened on March 30th, a 29-8 Grapefruit League loss to the St. Louis Cardinals. Cavalli in that game pitched in relief. He allowed 11 runs, 10 earned in two and a third innings. The Nats on April 2nd reassigned Cavalli to minor league camp. And now we have what we have with him over seven starts for AAA Rochester so far this season, an ERA of 762. Game three for the Nats at the Marlins is on Wednesday night at 6.40. And speaking of important young starting pitchers for the Nats, Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. So the Orioles on Tuesday night lost again. Uh, the O's lost their fifth consecutive game, a 5-4 loss to the New York Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in game two of a four-game series. The O's this season now are 14-23. and The Yankees this season now are Major League Best 27-9. and Two things to be mindful of from this game if you're an O's fan. Uh, Austin Hayes was back. He returned from a four-game absence caused by left-hand laceration. Hayes on Tuesday night was the Orioles starting left fielder and number two batter. He went 0-4. And Spencer Watkins on Tuesday night struggled again. He allowed two runs in four innings. He gave up four hits, a homer, two doubles, and a single. He issued three walks and a hit by pitch. He recorded just one strikeout. He, over the four innings, threw 73 pitches. Uh, third consecutive start in which Watkins struggled to at least some extent. Uh, Watkins, in a 5-3 win over the Minnesota Twins at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on May 5th, allowed three runs in four and two-thirds innings. Watkins, in a 10-1 loss at the St. Louis Cardinals last Wednesday night, allowed seven runs in three and two-thirds innings. But Watkins, prior to this recent stretch of struggling, had been decent in each of his previous three starts, during which he allowed a combined four runs in 14 and two-thirds innings. But here is what matters the most with the Orioles from Tuesday. Grayson Rodriguez continued to dominate. Grayson Rodriguez. Gray Rod in a start for AAA Norfolk on Tuesday night was tremendous. Uh, this was a 4-1 win for the Norfolk Tides at the Charlotte Knights. And Grayson Rodriguez in this game, five and a third scoreless innings with 11 strikeouts. I mean, just tremendous. Five and a third shutout innings, 11 strikeouts. Rodriguez now this season for Norfolk, eight starts, ERA of 265, whip of 1.02, and a strikeouts per nine innings of 13.74. The guy is averaging close to 14 strikeouts per nine innings. If this doesn't reek of a guy being ready for the majors, I don't know what does. Uh, MLB Pipeline has Rodriguez ranked as the number six prospect in baseball and the number one pitching prospect in baseball. Oh, by the way, the number two prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline, catcher Adley Rutschman, he on Tuesday night hit a two-run homer for Norfolk. Uh, this season is Rodriguez's age 22 season. Very exciting to think about what Grayson Rodriguez and Adley Rutschman could be for the O's at the major league level and soon, very soon, as in like within the next week or so. We'll see. Uh, speaking of Orioles minor league players, uh, Matt Harvey <laughs> on Tuesday 
got suspended. Uh, Major League Baseball on Tuesday afternoon announced that Harvey has received a 60-game suspension without pay, quote, for participating in the distribution of a prohibited drug of abuse in violation of Major League Baseball's Joint Drug Prevention and Treatment Program, end quote. Uh, The start date of Harvey's 60-game suspension, retroactive to April 29th. So this has to do with what came out earlier this year. So a Texas jury this past February found former Los Angeles Angels communications director Eric K. guilty of having provided Angels pitcher Tyler Skaggs with the drugs that led to Skaggs' death in 2019. Kay was found guilty by a 12-person jury on two counts, distribution of controlled substances resulting in death and conspiracy to possess with intent to distribute controlled substances. Uh, Skaggs died in a hotel room in Dallas on July 1st, 2019. He was just 27. An autopsy report found that he had fentanyl, oxycodone, and alcohol in his system. Well, Matt Harvey testified during the Eric K. trial. Uh, Harvey, as you may recall, played for the Angels. And Harvey, in his testimony, revealed that he had provided opioids to Tyler Skaggs on several occasions. Uh, Now, Harvey received immunity from the government in order to testify. He, in his testimony, also acknowledged that he had used cocaine. But people had been expecting some kind of an MLB suspension for Harvey, given this admission that he had provided opioids to Skaggs. And we finally got the announcement of a suspension for Matt Harvey on Tuesday. Now, during this uncertainty with Harvey, the Orioles brought Harvey back on a minor league contract. Uh, The O's on April 8th announced that they had agreed on a minor league contract with Harvey. Uh, This season is Harvey's age 33 season. Remember, Harvey was with the O's last year. Uh, The O's first signed Harvey in February 2021 to a minor league contract. He ended up pitching a good bit for the O's at the major league level last season. Uh, Harvey actually began the 2021 season as the number two starter in the Orioles rotation. He initially was pretty good for the O's, uh, but he ultimately was not so good for the O's. Uh, 28 starts, last season, ERA of 627. The most amazing thing about Harvey's 2021 season with the O's is that he made 28 starts, but he still didn't qualify for MLB leaderboards because he only totaled 127 and two-thirds innings. His 627 ERA was worse than the 582 ERA of the Nationals' Patrick Corbin, but it is Corbin who officially had the worst ERA among qualified pitchers in the majors for the 2021 season. The other thing with Matt Harvey's 2021 season is that it included a career-best scoreless streak of 21 and two-thirds innings. So Harvey, last season for the O's, had a career-best scoreless streak of 21 and two-thirds innings, and yet he still finished with an ERA of 627 for his 2021 season. Uh, Game three for the O's against the Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards is on Wednesday night at 7.05. Jordan Lyles will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 318. will feature much more on the commanders and 
Plenty on the Nationals and Orioles. Game three for the Nats at the Miami Marlins is on Wednesday evening at 6.40. Game three for the Orioles against the New York Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards is on Wednesday night at 7.05. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. The damn Washington Wizards! Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.